Hi, and welcome to Strangers on the Internet, a podcast about making online dating work for you. My name is Irene Amanta, and I'm a professor at the Maurice Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. I'm also a dating coach and a consultant for the dating app industry. And I'm Michelle Lang, a senior lecturer in psychology at Christopher Newport University in Virginia and a clinical psychologist in private practice. All views expressed in this podcast are our own and not our employers. Last time, Kat McFarlane told us about her moving journey with dating from blue to red states with a disability and while trying to dodge COVID-19. Today, we head to the Midwest to speak with graduate student Lisa, which is a pseudonym. We won't say too much to keep her identity safe. But Lisa is a 30-something academic who is currently getting her PhD at a state university in the Midwest. Lisa, welcome. What can you tell us about your journey on the dating apps? Um, So I've been on and off um, dating apps for the last couple of years. I mostly tend to stay um, on one at a time because it's just easier for me to keep track of things Um, and then kind of tweaking my parameters and things like that to see how it goes. And then if that app is just not working, I will um, switch to a different one and either pause or delete my account on the previous one. So uh, one thing you've told me when we've spoken in the past is that you're not a fan of dating fellow academics. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about why that is, like what kind of people you prefer to date? And just I'm sure our listeners would love to know more about that. Um, so I, I didn't necessarily set out to not date other academics. It was just more of a trial and error type thing, similar to, you know, my experience with dating apps. I'll try something for a while. And if it doesn't work, then I will, you know, go to another category of humans or dating apps. And in my case, you know, as a graduate student and also someone who um, teaches and has been teaching for some time, I originally did want to date other academics and just didn't have the best experiences. So I started dating people in other fields. And because of where I live now, a lot of them tend to be prior military or people who work for the government in other fields. And and that seems to have worked to an extent. When you say that you had bad experiences dating other academics, what made it bad experiences? And do you think it has to do with them being academics or them and you both being academics? Right. So I would first say, without it getting in a whole lot of detail, that I have been stalked a couple of times. Statistically, we know that academics and especially people who teach regularly are much more likely to be stalked. And so that is not super unusual, but I will say that the fact that my most persistent stalker, and by persistent, I mean on and off over a period of two years, was a professor. And so after that, and after a couple of like short-term relationships with other academics that just, you know, didn't work out for less drastic reasons, I decided that it just wasn't working for me. The less drastic reasons, which I think it was your second question, was just sometimes people who are in their 30s, who are still single, um, who are academics, are very good at what they do. And I couldn't find anything to um, maybe have in common with them in a relationship. So I have wonderful, wonderful friends 
of you know various genders who are academics in different fields, but trying to date them was just not going well. When you say they're very good at what they do, but trying to date them was not going well, is that because their interests are so narrow, like so focused on academia, or what would you say? A couple of things. Um, if I'm looking, well, first of all, I, I admire people who can date and or marry people in their own field. I don't think I could do that because it would be difficult for me to see my spouse every day, all day at work, but more power to people who can do that. But I would say sometimes it's a narrow interest, although I have studied other fields. And so that hasn't tended to be the problem. I've studied a couple of other fields that are more like stereotypically male. So that's actually not been a problem. It's been more of like either they are super competitive and so they just want to talk about, well, I published this year. Why didn't you put in all this like really competitive stuff that I would be fine with if it was a friend. But when it's a dating relationship, I'm like, I don't have a need for that. Yeah, I think that makes me think, I mean, there's a lot of things you said that we could bounce off of and talk more about, but you know what you brought up about people who date other people in their own fields, you know, of course, Hollywood's famous for that, how creative types date other creative types. And you'll see it in other areas too. Like, for example, I know several lawyers who are married to other lawyers, doctors who are married to other doctors. And as you said, some professors who are married to other professors. Um, and I'm thinking of some others too, chiropractors I went to back in the we're a married couple and and you're right i mean it can be in some ways obviously it's easier and that's why easier to meet people i mean um and that's why it tends to happen especially in certain fields where when you're getting started in your field is also correlates with your 20s when a lot of people are interested in serious relationships and settling down or beyond and so it is interesting that people often meet just more out of convenience within their own field. But like you said, there can be challenges with that too. Now, I would say we could just, you know, have a conversation about it. So either Lisa or Irina, have you heard more successful stories of people dating within their own field or more where it can be a problem? And if so, what about it makes it problematic? Well, I can start if you want, Michelle. Um, my first marriage was to someone in my in my field, someone also in law, and then who became an academic. So it didn't start off that way, but became an academic. And I, I definitely think there were advantages to it, like in terms of like schedules matching up. And, and I, I definitely see a lot of advantages, but it is a little unpleasant to have people compared the two of you. So it's even if the two people are not being competitive with one another, to have people comment, sometimes even openly comment to me about things like that, like, you know, who, who did what and wrote what and is at which institution, has which degrees. I mean, academia is so credentials focused, as you both know, that that is a little bit, a little bit iffy. So, so there is that. Uh, on the other hand, Again, being able to understand someone better and, and knowing better what their needs are also professionally can be an advantage also. I mean, we know that academia and law, so I can only imagine what the stats would be for legal academia. We know academia and law draw and therapists draw a higher than average percentage of narcissists. 
So that's another thing to consider. So when that story comes in with the stalking, you know, I can't really, I'm not really surprised. And a lot of academics, I guess, of the successful ones are used to getting what they want, right? And they feel like, okay, I I deserve this. I got this, I got that. Uh, And now this is sort of the next laurel that should just, you know, be bestowed upon me. And they don't necessarily think that well. Lisa, do you think that's right? I think to an extent it can be. I also think another thing that has happened to me, I don't know if this is a common um, thread at all or not, but I've seen it with another friend who's similar to me in age and background and, and things like that, where at some point when you're dating somebody, they'll ask you about your past relationships and how things have gone. At least, you know, most people will do that eventually. Some people do it a little too soon. But something that I've seen happen before, um, which is kind of ironic to me if I am on like a date with someone who is an academic because occasionally I will still try I'll be like well maybe this one's the the tiebreaker maybe I can make it work with this person they will ask me at some point you know like how what my last relationship was like etc and you know I'll tell them and then they'll be like well obviously it didn't work out because they are not you know a college professor or a graduate student and the idea that we are defined solely by the the fact that we happen to have a PhD or be getting a PhD is very sad to me. Like there's so much to people that has nothing to do with the fact that I have, my partner has a PhD in accounting. I don't know if that's even a thing. It is now, but, but that, but it's interesting because it kind of works both ways. Like I'm, I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't, right? So if I date somebody who's an academic and they ask me about my last relationship, which was not, by the way, with someone who's in academia at all, um, and and I tell them that obviously I'm no longer with that person, they're like, well, duh, you know, you should have been dating somebody like me. And I I just, it makes me sad because there's there's so much to people that has nothing to do with them having having a graduate degree. Yeah, there's a couple things we could follow up on there, too. I'm now taking notes of things that I want us to follow up on. But, you know, I can also speak to my ex, one of my exes, and I worked at the same place. But I think, importantly, not in the same division or department. And I think that made a big difference. And so, you know, for our listeners, obviously, not all of them are academics, um, but there are lots of tie-ins to different careers you have out there. And I can tell you also in my employment history, I worked in a department at one point of mid-size or it was about 20 people in the department. And two of them were a married couple who got divorced. And that was incredibly awkward, you know, to have two people, whether they're married or just dating and it doesn't work out. And now they're in the same department. That is an incredibly uncomfortable thing. And so I do want to encourage our listeners to really think long and hard on the front end. As you guys said, there are some values to dating within your field. Sometimes I know creative types, actors, musicians often cite that people understand that lifestyle in their field, that they understand that it's going to be long days, that people are going to be sexually attracted to them. And there can't be that jealousy element, whereas people in other fields don't always understand that. And I think, you know, all fields have their things where it's nice if somebody else really understands the lifestyle because they also work in the field. But yeah, on the flip side, 
it is really challenging if it does not work out and you still have to see that person or work with that person all the time. For my ex and I, the saving grace is that we didn't actually ever have to work together and we didn't even have to see each other that much. We worked in different departments, different buildings. We didn't have to work together. And that I think might be, might be a saving grace in those kind of situations. Yeah. And I'm also not at the same university as my first husband, although Truth be told, I don't necessarily think in our case, this, this would have been, you know, a, a problem. Okay, so Lisa, you had mentioned a couple of things that I would be really interested to return to. And I'm even thinking of some of these together. And so one of the things you had mentioned, so in your field and academia, that a lot of professors are people who are good at what they do and also very competitive. And so because of that, and they've risen to the top, there are professors in their field, they are also used to getting what they want. And you know, that again reminded me, I hear that often of doctors and also, maybe even particularly, I have heard that about surgeons in particular. And so it made me think, man, there really are some fields where, where you have to be very good at what you do, where there's limited spaces in the field. But so if you rise to the top, that really says something impressive about, I guess, your abilities, your natural talent in that field. And then if you're competitive too, you really continue to succeed. So I was thinking about, that coupled with what you said about when you were explaining how one of your relationships didn't work out and you were explaining it to somebody else you were dating and they were like, oh, of course it didn't work out. You weren't with another academic, which just I almost gagged when I heard you say that because it just reeked of classism. It just sounded like they were saying they think academics are better than other people. And so similarly, there's lots of careers where if there's a lot of esteem around that career or there are few spots and lots of people wanting to get into that spot, people do feel this sense of, I'm really somebody special for having gotten here. And so there's this sense of, because I'm used to succeeding at things and used to rising to the top and getting what I want, almost the sense of entitlement. So my question for you is coming back to what you said about having been stalked multiple times, because I've got, I'm wondering if, the elements if you saw common elements across the times that you were stalked across the stalkers and i'm wondering do either of these things have to do with it that sense of being almost entitled because you're used to getting what you want and or that sense of classism which i guess is kind of some of the same thing what what have been your experiences do, do those things relate to the stalking incidents or no um so yes and no i would say that so I've been, I've been, I was stalked for quite a while by one person, um, which, you know, thankfully is over now. And then I was stalked briefly a couple of other times. And I would say that they were very different situations. So the first one was someone I had actually been in a relationship with, had ended the relationship with, and they did not like that. And, you know, law enforcement was involved. A lawyer was involved at some point, two or three lawyers were involved because it was over a two year time period. So I would say um, the other two instances, one of them was took place on campus. It was not related to relationship. It was a student who was trying to stalk me. 
And then the other one was someone I had met online and never met in person. And I decided I was not interested in meeting him in person. And he didn't like that. And so he figured out where I lived and he took a picture of my house and then created a brand new phone number just to text me a picture of my house. No, hello. No, hey, guess who it is. It was just, and I know it was him because I, I mean, there was no one else that it could have been, but it was very, like the three people I don't think had much of anything in common other than identifying as male. That was pretty much the only, they were very different in occupation and I mean, they weren't even all the same race. So the only similarity was that it was, it creeped me out. So I think that's important for people to understand that turns out anyone can be a stalker. And so it's not easy criteria to weed people in or out, I guess, of that category. But was there anything that surprised you? I mean, I guess it should surprise any of us if we're stalked that you would think people wouldn't do that, Uh, particularly somebody you had been in a relationship with and presumably thought was a normal and okay person. But um, but was there anything that surprised you in those experiences in, in terms of what kind of person could do this? Um, so I'm going to answer the surprise part. And I don't know if this is necessarily answering your question, but I do think it's important. The way that other people around the situation react is not predictable. So for example, um, and this I think is super important to us if we work on a college campus, the way that law enforcement, a previous university I worked for, didn't even call them police officers, they were called public safety. How they will react to that situation can be so, so different from one place to the other. Um, I will say that my current institution has been excellent about dealing with these kinds of things. A previous institution I worked for was not. Um, and so, and that was surprising because it just, it was really an unexpected thing. And then you wanted to know specific to the men, like what was going on with them. So like I said, one was a student. So that wasn't really, I mean, um, the only thing surprising there was while it was going on, I went on Google Scholar like we do. And I looked up, you know, instances of stalking around academia. And I learned that statistically it is much more likely as an academic or even as like a high school teacher, for example, to be stalked than any other, almost any other occupation, which was interesting to me and weirdly comforting because it's like, there's probably somebody on my floor in my building who has also been stalked. The other one where the gentleman, and I'm using the term gentleman very loosely here, took a picture of my house and sent it to me with a brand new phone number because I had blocked him. The surprising part was that that it took him months to find me and he continued to try to find me. So it was almost a year later that I get this message from him. So just the not understanding like the psychology of a stalker, I still don't really understand it. And it surprises me to the extent of, I don't know why people do this. I wonder if within academia, the reason why is because our, like literally our office hours are posted, you know, and it's also very public. You can look somebody up on the website, figure out where they work, what office they're in. If you go by their office, you can see the office hours posted. Campuses tend to be public places that people are welcome to go. So did you look in your research as to why it was that this field in particular, or any others that you happen to read about are more prone to, to people being the victims of stalking? 
I don't have an answer to that. I do know that the instance of the student who was stalking me wanted his grade changed years after the fact. Um, and so again, it's like, what is the psychology of this? Like, what what is the logic here? It's been years. So I I haven't found necessarily a definitive answer to that. I just know that it happens a lot. I don't know if it's students who get fixated on a particular instructor or they have a crush on somebody or, or what, because I know that there is a lot of like college students stalking other college students seems to be a common thread as well. And I don't know if it's part of the same phenomenon or not. I, I've had issues with a law student just continuing to contact me about all sorts of stuff. And like every holiday was an excuse to contact me. I, I'm, I'm talking about happy Chinese New Year, even though neither he nor I are Chinese. Like it would be any holiday was was a reason. And then there were just all sorts of weird things. And I, I, I just didn't respond. But in, in that case, I think it had to do with, you know, I was actually trying to be supportive toward him and, and show empathy when he had various struggles and during law school. And even though it was all completely within... You know, I, I didn't like meet with him outside of school or anything like that. Like, despite all that, even though it was, a, a I thought, a fairly normal, supportive function that I served, it's just someone who I think had some internal struggles that led to that. And it's, it's now stopped for some time, and I hope it stays that way. Uh, and I hope he's doing better wherever he is. But it, it is true. And what we also know is, of course, and Michelle can speak more to that, is that for a lot of people, really like some mental illnesses start declaring themselves in their early 20s. Now, not all stalkers are mentally ill. And certainly the vast majority of mentally ill people are not stalkers. So I want to be very clear on that. But I do think that a number of struggles might might appear in one's 20s that influence this. But I, I was wondering, Lisa, whether you could talk more about, you know, the, the kinds of safety measures that, that you've taken. Um, you and I have talked a bit about a uh, some of the equipment you might have at home to like stay safe. Do you want to say more about that? Um, yeah. So I kind of, I, I tend to as a person, but also apparently in this conversation, try to relate things to each other. And I think that somehow in our search to be, you know, open-minded and understanding of everyone, we forget that everyone's struggle is not the same. And this relates back to the whole like, uh, classism thing. And I find that when I am having an issue with safety around dating, I get a lot more sympathy from other women, regardless of their social status, regardless of their political affiliation. I mean, most of my region is is pretty far to the right. Let's just be clear about this. But they are very much like, you're a woman, I'm a woman, let's be safe together. Um, and so I think that remembering that is important. Having said that, when I tell somebody that um, I have pepper spray, which I do, when I tell them that I have an electronic doorbell and a, a security camera behind my house, which I do, when I tell, and I don't recommend telling people that you are dating, at least not right off the bat, 
that you have run a cursory background check on them, which I do. I always do. I will not. So because I had a bad experience with this, if I cannot figure out who someone is in real life, I do not go on a real life date with them. If I can't figure out what their last name is, if I can't figure out, you know, not necessarily like where they live, because that would make me the stalker in this situation. But if I can't figure out who they are and at least run a local um, check on their criminal record, if they have one and things like that, I don't think that it's worth my time to go on a date with them if I can't check up on them at least a little bit. I also think that sometimes because we are so cloistered in our academic fields and things, we forget that sometimes women do feel the need to have firearms, for example, obviously within legal limits of where you live. I know that not all of us live in the same state, so that may be completely different for you. But I have run into situations, again, where if I tell someone I own a firearm or I have a CCW, which is a concealed carry permit, they're like, well, if you would date men who don't tend to be unsafe people, you wouldn't need to have pepper spray. You wouldn't need to. I, I'm not psychic. I can't divine that somebody is going to be a stalker in the future based on their field or other class related factors. And so, again, when I talk to other women about this, even women who have a completely separate you know, background or anything like that from me, once I explain myself, they get it. But a lot of times men in my own field, even at my own university, will quickly make it an us versus them about other men because they feel I'm not sure what what's going on with that. So I'd like to discuss that because it's a strange reaction. And the fact that they think that they would that they would somehow know, like, you know, take them out, be like, point to me, the ones who are the stalkery types out here. Who are the ones that I should avoid since you can just tell that? Like, who are the right kind of men? What do they even mean? I think part of it is when somebody is developing empathy, if they've never had this experience, whether it's because they are in an economically privileged situation where they would just pay $10,000 for a lawyer to mess up this person's life, or whatever, there's no empathy there. And it's not necessarily them intentionally being terrible, um, but they just don't get it. So for example, the last person that I was dating who I did tell that I had been stalked, um, he was shocked by the idea that women who are academics are, are statistically very likely to be stalked because it's not, he's not an academic and he's not female. And so he just didn't, it had never entered his thought process that that was a likely thing to happen. And conversely, men that I'm around um, want to throw their own thoughts about what they would do as a man if they were stalked into the pot. And a lot of times it's, it's a very class-related response to these kinds of problems. You know, I've also found that even men that I consider to be allies, I mean, true allies, are sometimes shocked. I, I just had a conversation with a very good friend of mine that's a male academic uh, in a different country. 
And when I mentioned the, those numbers from that study by Columbia Journalism Investigations that one out of three women on dating apps that were part of that survey they ran had experienced sexual assault via the dating apps. He was genuinely shocked. And, and whether that figure is exactly correct or not, the number is way larger than it should be. Well, the number should be zero, but it is way larger than anything we should be willing to tolerate as a society, as just sort of the cost of doing business or whatnot. And, you know, and it's, and, and certainly sexual assault is a, is a vast umbrella uh, and, and many other bad things happen also that aren't even necessarily encompassed in that when the question is asked. So things are really dangerous out there. And, and we've talked a bit about this before, how women are in a double bind. If they choose to stay single, they are spinsters and cat ladies and there's something wrong with them. They must be frigid, right? Like all of that outdated stuff. And on the other hand, if they try to date, it pretty much it's, it's going to, if something bad happens to them, it's going to be their fault. Oh, you shouldn't have gone on the apps or you should have done a background check or you shouldn't have done this. You should have dated academics. You shouldn't have dated academics. People will say anything out of just world bias because they, they're so scared for themselves. That's part of it. It's like, well, if I can say this person had something bad happen because of something they did, well, certainly nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. And we all know here, it doesn't work like that. So I, you know, unfortunately, I think it's going to take a long time for people to really understand this stuff. But that's also part of the goal of this podcast. That's the goal of all three of us here today is to inform people about more of these things. Now, um, Lisa, have you gotten a lot of negative reactions from people themselves? If you said, I'm gonna, I don't know, send your name to my friend, or I'm gonna take certain safety measures against you, stranger, Right. We don't, I mean, you, you describe, I mean, some of these men seem sort of nervous generally, and we could say a lot here about a sense of entitlement and why that's happening. But have you ever sort of gotten that kind of a response from someone? Um, so to go back to what I said before, I don't tell them, I don't think that, I mean, unless you are working for the NSA or something that you should be really worried about somebody doing that unless you have something to hide. I have told people, so the last person that I dated, I think I told maybe the third date, um, something to the effect of just so you know, I ran your, once I figured out what your full name was, I ran it through the local court repository and didn't find anything. So congrats. Um, so just kind of a lighthearted comment. And he was fine with it because again, he there was nothing to find. He wasn't lying about who he was or anything like that. So the only time that I've had necessarily a, not a fully negative reaction, but maybe a frustrated reaction was I don't usually do this. So if I find something that is just something that I am not comfortable going to on the first date with the person, I don't necessarily explain why. I will just say, you know, I don't, I no longer want to go on a first date with you. Now, there have been a couple of times where they will ask, well, why? And then I might say, just so you know, I ran your name through the local uh, court database and I found out that you're a felon. Um, and then I block them immediately because I don't, 
want to deal with that anymore. But usually I don't because I think most of them realize that that's what's happened for one thing. And then they just want to argue about it, which is not really very productive. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I was more thinking about stuff like uh, when we've said in other episodes, like telling them, I give your license plate to my friend to sort of to give them an incentive to not do something bad to you, like in that sense. But it makes sense for the kinds of things you're, you're talking about, how you've handled that. Uh, I think there's a lot of logic and, and good sense behind that. So, I mean, where do you, you know, where do you feel like you stand now? Like having seen what you've seen, like, what are you, what are you looking for when you, you go through these profiles and you figure out whether to swipe or not, or you, after chatting, you try to figure out whether to go uh, on dates or not. And also what kind of advice can you, can you give men on how they should present themselves and how they should uh, act? I feel like there's a lot coming here. So I think I think I've become one of those little bobbleheads in the back of a taxi at this point because I'm just shaking my head. But um, the things that I look for, one thing, and I actually asked someone. So I work with someone who considers themselves a self defense expert, and I use this term loosely. But I asked this person if someone, if a man is lying to you about his age what are the two reasons that that happens? Do you guys know the main two reasons in the dating context, why that would happen? Well, I'm going to assume one of them is because they want to date somebody in a younger age bracket and assumes that somebody in a younger age bracket wouldn't want to date them if they told the truth. And, and then the other one, but you may have been the one who told me that in the past, Lisa, uh, is that it makes it harder for people to look them up, right, in terms of safety stuff. We I'm pretty sure it. you're the one who, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I'm really glad you're bringing that up for our listeners. So who knows what else is hiding? I mean, I've always had that feeling of who knows what else is hiding when somebody tells any lie. But that specific lie, I mean, this is on the money. This is a huge piece of advice like that. That really should get all the sort of red flag sirens just start blaring here that, that this is something where you need to be particularly careful. And it's tricky because it's a very common lie. Right. So with a lot of these um, places that you might, if you are like me and you have had um, a couple of bad experiences and you are looking someone up, most of these databases will ask you for either a specific age or an approximation of that person's age. And it is harder, especially if someone has a common first and last name, as of course many people do, to find them if you're not sure how old they are, or if you're sure that they said that they were 36, but they're actually 46. So yeah, I mean, yes, of course there are the creepers who are 45 and want to date a 22 year old. I think they're really easy to spot just because unless they are very, very good at, at um, airbrushing and things, we can usually tell. So that that's a quicker pass for me than someone who fudges their age a little bit less. And then I'm like, what, what else are you trying to hide? Because I'm less concerned being in my 30s. I'm less concerned if you're 38 versus 40 as I am that you're you know, 40 versus 45 because you have a criminal record that you don't want me to find or because you're you, you're telling me a name that's not actually your name. So I had someone who went by his middle name because if I had searched his first name and his last name, I would have found his wonderful, lengthy and very 
um, alarming felony record that he had. And so just that to me, yes, of course, there are creepers who are trying to date younger people. I think by this point, most of us can spot those pretty quickly. So that is less alarming to me than it is a quick pass of like, okay, I'm, I'm moving on. I'm not interested. Well, and we've talked before on this podcast about how generally, which also is not rocket science, but how generally lying is not a good sign, even if it seems like a little lie. One thing that that definitely tells us is that person has no problem telling me a lie if they think it's going to benefit them. And so in what other ways would that happen in our lives and even in our, if we went into a relationship with this person, they have showed you from the beginning that they're perfectly comfortable with telling you something that's not true if they think that that works to their advantage with no regard for how that would be for you. And then certainly everything you've said here are super important reasons. If we can convince our listeners to really take lying as the red flag that it is, I think that we're doing a good service here because people are so quick to excuse lies. I've done it. I have um, on multiple occasions dated somebody who lied about their age, but when I asked them the reason why and their reason didn't seem so bad, I was like, okay. And, and, you know, I really do look at it in a different light when I think about something like this. So Lisa, do you have any kind of parting words of advice for other daters out there based on your experiences? Um, So a couple of things back to the idea of dating within a certain social group or whatever. I think it's really important not to assume that just because somebody has a lot to lose does not mean they would not still engage in unsafe or inappropriate behavior around dating, such as stalking that I mentioned before. People that have a, you know, respectable job who have graduate degrees, we might assume would not want to engage in an activity that could jeopardize that. But in fact, that's not necessarily true. And I think that assumption can be very unsafe for us as people who might be stalked to just think, well, this person is a college professor, he's on a tenure track, and so therefore he would never be a stalker because he has too much to lose. Another thing to keep in mind is depending on where you live, the amount of things that you can do to be safe are so varied. And I think that's really important. I believe that all three of us are in the United States. And so, but even within the US, there are differences. So as an example, in a state where I previously lived as recently as 2019, and I'm guessing this is still the law, you can still look up someone as a public citizen by their license plate number. There's not very many states where you can do that. There are a few. And so in that state, if I had somebody's license plate number, I would use it to find them. Not in um, a super nosy way, but just you know, knowing what their actual name is and things like that. Another interesting thing um, around safety is being aware of, if you work at a college or university, being aware of how they handle things like this, because it can be very, very different from one college to another. So just, you know, talking to other faculty members, even asking, in my case, at one point I asked some students who were seniors, so undergraduate seniors, how their perceptions of the way that the campus handled stalking or other intimate partner violence and things like that, just to see how they felt about their safety on campus. And maybe not 100% basing my feelings of safety as an instructor on that, 
But I do think that it speaks to to the college culture, but it can also speak to the legal parameters. So something that I ran into with the individual who was stalking me on and off for two years is that enforcement of a restraining order, a protection order, whatever you want to call it, is so fractured. So I'll, gi- I'll give an example here. I had a no trespass order for my property that I was living at. So this person was not allowed to be on the property. I also had a um, restraining order that was for one year. So this person could have followed me in, in their car, etc. However, when I was at work at a college, he could come to the college because the, the county did not enforce the law on a college campus and stalk me at his whim on the college campus. So I had to go and it took me almost six months to get this actually done. I had to go to, because I was, uh, I was a student at the time. Um, I wasn't teaching there, but I was in grad school there. I had to go to student affairs multiple times and also to our campus um, law enforcement multiple times for them to also trespass him from the campus of that college was completely separate from law enforcement that would have taken care of it if he had showed up at my house, for example. And I don't think people realize that. They think that, you know, you get this restraining order and then it's just, you wave it around when somebody stalks you. Well, if I had brought my restraining order to work and that person showed up and was stalking me at work, it wouldn't have done anything at all. And so I think we need to be maybe not paranoid about, you know, the laws necessarily, but super aware of them. If you move somewhere else and you are dating, be aware of, number one, what you can find in public um, resources about people, because in some states you can't look up the court repository, for example. You can't look up police reports. Other states you can't. Some states you can pretty easily find out somebody's address. Other states it's harder. Some states you can, like I said before, there's only a couple of states where this is the case, where you can still look somebody up by their driver's, their license plate number. Well, that's incredibly important. And I'm, I'm really glad that, that we got that information out there. And oftentimes it is going to require talking also to a local lawyer. And maybe like you said, if you're moving, you might want to speak at least briefly to a local lawyer in the new area just to understand how to protect yourself. And needless to say, Victims should not have to do all of these things, but this is the world that we live in and we need to uh, be, unfortunately, we need to be aware of that. Thank you so much, Lisa. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it five stars so that others have a chance to listen to it as well and make sure to subscribe so that you can get our future episodes. You can become a part of our community by joining the Strangers on the Internet Facebook group or following us at Swipe Strangers on Twitter or on Instagram. I would like to thank my husband, Carlos Farini, for sound editing, as well as Vlad Kuyujuklu for permission to use his music for this podcast. Thank you and bye, everybody. Bye.